we're playing a show and this guy's in the front row and he's messing with Laura, our bass player. And he's just kind of like reaching up and touching her and it's very weird and no one quite knows how to react to it. And then I'm getting more annoyed as it's happening. And in the middle of a song, I, I look over and he's reached up and he's undoing one of her tuning pegs on her bass. And I was so mad. I've never done this before since I stopped playing and I jumped over the drums and I jumped into the crowd <laughs> and we started wrestling. It was like the least, <laughs> it was the least me thing I've ever done. That was John Worcester sharing stories from the road. John is the drummer for Superchunk, the Mountain Goats, the Bob Mould Band. Oh, and he's also a comedian, too, which made for a very entertaining interview. So check out part one of my chat with John now. So I want to get right into it. Um, you know, I know I've been following your Instagram for a while, and I know you're the drummer for Superchunk, the Mountain Goats, the Bob Mould Band. But I also read something that was written about you, and mm-hmm. it was said, and I quote, John Worcester has the rare classification as being as good at music as he is at comedy. Oh, I mean, that I'll could be that. the best compliment in the world, or the worst, I don't know. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I'm so narcissistic that I, I immediately <laughs> took it as, as like a, an uber compliment. Um, <laughs> That's how I meant it. I guess that's that's in the eye of the beholder. Whether you're a comedian or whether you're a musician, you know, the last year has been. Yes. Um, Very, very odd uh, year. I think once I realized it was it was going to go on as long as it was going to go on, I I just started to, to embrace it and kind of I've been just trying to think of all the positives of it where I. From from around ni- uh, 2007 until until March of last year, I was just on the road or recording just like over and over again for about 10, you know, longer than 10 years. And um, I'm just looking at it like I'm going to use it as a break to rest my body because hopefully it's going to it's going to come back hard, as they say. So, <laughs> it is. Um, it definitely is. Yeah. I mean, so aside from the fact that you're a house band. Were there any highlights? Oh my God! Uh, well, I was lucky that that the the Mountain Goats and Bob Mold both uh, finished albums just under the wire. I think the Mountain Goats we got done our record. Um, I think it was on like March eleventh, and and Bob Mold we got done a record about a month before that. So both of those albums came out. So that kind of kept kept it exciting, you know. At, at times during the year, you know, there were, there were records to promote and do little videos for and that sort of thing. But b- beyond that, th- there really wasn't a, a ton to, to speak of, you know, and it's it, just trying to be grateful for what, what there is, you know, I'm lucky I, I have a little house I can play the drums in. And I think I've gotten really good on the drums <laughs> in, the la- in, in the last year. I, I found all these things to, to play along with that, that I normally just would not have had the time or the inclination to, to sort of figure out like old, old, uh, like funk songs and things. And Devo, Devo was a band I always liked, but I never really played along with the records. And like, it's a super workout, like this very, very quick hi-hat kind of stuff, like on, like on whip it, that sort of thing. So 
feel like I can play whip it really good now. <laughs> <laughs> but what made you pick up the drums? I mean, you were 10. Yeah, I, I think I just, I, I was lucky that I, that I found music relatively early and I just kind of knew even though it seems so exotic and impossible to, to do I thought, well, I'm going to try to do this. And um, I, I can't think of like a specific moment that was like the, you know, the light bulb over the head. But when I was um, in elementary school, so we're talking like the mid mid seventies, um, one of the local um, junior highs would send over their stage band, you know, like they're, they're kind of like, yeah, band that would play i'm trying to think of some of the songs like string of pearls like very basic kind of jazzy sort of songs that you know that kids can play and there was a drummer like with a, with a drum set and and so just seeing a drum set at that age is very exotic and and um i'm sure that was the first thing i saw in, in the flesh that made me really want to do it and mm -hmm. um and probably whoever was on american bandstand at that point just like seeing a drummer playing and it just seemed really cool. And uh, unbelievably my parents were okay with me trying to learn it. And yeah. and then they got me a, a drum kit on my 12th birthday, which was the ultimate nightmare for them and all our neighbors. And, and I, I played it. I think I played every day in that house and I'm sure all my neighbors could hear probably from, from age 12 until I moved out at 18 or 19. So I was really lucky that I had, I had parents who would put up with it. Yeah. And you were one of the few that was actually able to make a living at it. <laughs> yes. So there's no, I have minimal guilt over this because I did end up making it my, my life. So who are some of your, who are some of your favorite drummers? Um, I think, you along the way? I think the first one, like, like most kids who of that era who got into drums, it, it, it was Keith Moon. You know, it's because he was just so exciting to watch. And and my, it's funny, my, my opinion of Keith, of Keith Moon over the years has changed. Obviously, he's one of the, the greats of all time in rock. But I, I, have, I have a kind of a low threshold now for for his his style of playing. And Mitch Mitchell, too, with Jimi Hendrix, where I want to just hear more of a, of a groove than just a solo all the time. And, and so I, I think I think that also um came into play a little bit uh when i was starting to to appreciate other drummers around the age of 14 or 15 like um those first two police records i i loved playing along with and, and i love that there was like a good mix in stuart copeland's playing and also topper heaton from the clash of of like keeping a group but also throwing in a lot of cool little things that were off the beaten path and so I started to love drummers like that. Um, uh, Pete Thomas from the Attractions, uh, oh, wow. also a big one. So those are the, th the three guys that come to mind in immediately, like back when I was 14, 15, getting into whatever, punk rock, new wave, et cetera, Tommy Ramone. So those are the big ones from back then. Yeah. At that time, there was so much inspiration to draw from. Oh, and I yeah. think also a really good... Um, I think it provided, uh, you know, an idea in a lot of teenage kids' heads that this can actually be, uh, uh, you know, something that I pursue, something I can make money at. This could be my career. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it it seemed in, it's funny how how little money mattered back then. Like my first couple bands, 
you just weren't thinking about getting a record deal, especially in, you know, in the arena I was in, which was, you know, the, I, I started playing in bands that, that, that played shows and kind of traveled around a little bit in, in like 84, 85. And like, nobody was going to get a record deal in, in the world I was in, which was like, you know, our, our, the bands I was playing in would open for suicidal tendencies or the oh. Kreutzen or, or the Minutemen, that sort of thing. It was just, it was, it wasn't even just part of our, our, our fabric or our, our dreams. And so then when, when bands did start to kind of break through like the replacements and Husker do, you know, in, in like 80, 84, 85, when they were signing record deals. And that's when it kind of felt like, Oh wow, maybe, yeah, maybe it could work. That was your, you know? that was your moment. That was kind your kind of. Yeah. But yeah. I just always felt like, well, dirtbags like us who play, you know, these, bas- <laughs> these basement shows aren't going to get, you know, to the major leagues. And then the replacements were on Saturday Night Live and it's, you know, it's still one of the most mind-blowing, uh, uh, you know, appearances I've ever, ever seen. So that would have been like, uh, I think December of 85. So um, that was a big one where you, you just thought, oh, wow, ki- kids like me could maybe do that. Like all, right. all, on, a, all, all like a world stage. And yeah. Yeah. And, and the first band that you started with was, well, uh, the first band was called Hair Club for Men, and the, <laughs> and this was this was uh, 1981. I was a junior in high school, maybe no, my first year in high school, and um, it was like a new wave band. Um, we I grew up outside of Philly, so uh, like in the Mennonite farmland. So there there was no music scene at all, but somehow I found these three guys one guy was two years older one guy was like 13 years older and one guy was you know five years older so it was never anyone my, my own age back then you know like no one my age was in, in into this stuff really who wanted to play um so that was hair club for men and, and then the first real band um was based in philadelphia which was about 35 miles from where i grew up and so i was around maybe 16 17 18 then and um that band was called psychotic norman psychotic and norman yes these are yeah. great names i mean they're good names come on <laughs> yes uh so that was around 85 and that's the band that played with the, uh, the Minutemen and suicidal tendencies and rat at radar and I, I ended up quitting that band just before our our little single came out. We made a single and I ended up moving down here to North Carolina to join this roots rock band. And this would have been January of 86. Ooh, you got the dates down. Yes. Um, and this band ended up getting signed to Arista by Clive Davis about, I think about four months after I joined. So I was 19 and my, my goal uh, as a kid was, I should like have it get going like in a big way by the time I'm 20 and you know, just like, a, just like, just like ridiculous thinking, but it happened somehow. So, uh, and, um, so we got signed and it was, it was downhill from there. It was a nightmare. We ended up getting half <laughs> halfway into an album with Jim Dickinson. Uh, and this was, um, this was right after he did the replacements album, please to meet me. And we did it in the same studio and, uh, things just went, horribly and we never finished it and we ended up getting dropped and so i got all my bad licks out of the way very early which i was very appreciative of later 
I'm sure you were. I mean, that's that's kind of trial by fire right there. But mm-hmm. I have to ask, though, because the 80s was such a crazy time, especially for rock. What was it like kind of being in that scene, like right in those those pivotal years, 84, 85? I, I think it was just a little more organic then. You know, you really had to, not that you don't have to try now, but but I feel like you really had to to want it and really try to to get somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess you're, you, you know, you're a product of, of your times and, and, uh, you know, I'm sure guys who were really into music and 18, 19 years old in the late fifties, you know, that was, it didn't get any better than that. So yeah. But for me, like I, I, I think of that run of records, like double nickels on the dime by the Minutemen and the, the, the run Husker do had and, um, uh, and the replacements and those things. I just think that's such a, a, a great time for bands. And there was like, you know, there was like a promise of something great happening. Well, you've had a lot of success with the bands that you've been with. So I wanted to ask you, was there ever a venue that you played and you said to yourself, oh my God, I've always wanted to play here. Or in your mind, you're thinking I've made it. Maybe that was your 19 year old self. <laughs> oh, I, I, I look at everything I do through the eyes of the 14 year old playing drums in his basement. You know, like I, I can't, I'll just, I'll really get excited and just kind of soak it in wherever. Like we've gotten to play in the Ed Sullivan theater with, with the mountain goats and Bob mold a lot, you know, in the, um, uh, where Letterman did the show and, and, you know, it's where the Beatles played. And so I, I'm always thinking about that when we're playing, you know, just like, Oh my God, this is like, it's kind of where it, you know, this is like ground zero for a lot of people's, dreams and things and and uh but in terms of other venues uh the tower theater is where i saw in philly is where i saw my first like real rock shows and so super chung only played there once we opened for sonic youth uh there in around 90 92 i think or three and uh that that was exciting And, and my parents came and my mother graduated in at the tower theater she went to school um at the high school in the town where it is upper Darby PA. And so I don't know if she'd been back there since, you know, since she graduated uh, in the fifties. So uh, that was fun. It was a moment for her too. That's awesome. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and um, uh, God, where else? Uh, the, the palace in LA and uh, Shepherd's Bush empire and London and um, all the New York places, radio city, the beacon and, um, Roseland. Yeah, there's just a uh, uh, Fillmore. So I, I've gotten oh. to do a lot of them, and, and I'm all, I'm always appreciative of it. Like I I don't I, I I don't think I take it for granted when we show up at a place like that. No, I think that's great, and it, yeah, I'm sure it fuels the performance too. I guess I need to ask you, and you can censor you know anything you want to say, but you know stories from the road. I mean, mm-hmm. opening for your Sonic Youth or opening for Suicidal Tendencies. I'm sure you've seen a lot over the years, and then with your own bands. I feel like I've, I've witnessed more things other people do that are outrageous and things I, that have befallen me or what that I've done. So um, I'll stick to some that were just my, my bad luck or dumb thinking. Uh, there was, there was a, sh- a show in this horrible town that I've had to play a couple of times. And I'm sure it means well, it's an experimental um, experimental co- community in, in Denmark co- called Christiana. And basically, basically, my understanding of this place is it's it's where people just kind of police themselves. I don't even think the the the, the Danish police go in it. I think it's sort of a self-run 
community. And there's this venue there that I've played a couple times. And so 1995 uh, or, or six, Super Chunk is over there. And we're playing a show and this guy's in the front row and he's messing with Laura, our bass player. And he's just kind of like reaching up and touching her. And it's very weird and no one quite knows how to react to it. And then I'm getting more annoyed as it's happening. And in the middle of a song, I, I look over and he's reached up and he's undoing one of her tuning pegs on her bass. And I was so mad. I've never done this before since I stopped playing and I jumped over the drums and I jumped into the crowd <laughs> and we started wrestling. It was like the least, <laughs> it was the least me thing I've ever done. And, and we're wrestling around and he tore my good gig shirt. I was very mad. And, and, and then um, it gets broken up and we finish the show and, and the guys ejected and then, and the show's done. And, the guy's there again, like the guy's wandering around the venue. And I go, I go up to the promoter or someone. I said, "Why is that guy here? Like, what, what's going on?" And he, and the guy says that, "Well, um, yes, he, he, he is bad. He is bad, but he, he lives here. He lives in the building. So we, like, he lived in the club. So, so he couldn't, he couldn't be fully ejected. Oh my god! Wait, he said he is bad. But he, he is bad, here. but yeah, but he, so, he lives here." This is a common occurrence, but we can't do anything about it. It must have been. Yeah. So, and one that wasn't so fun was, uh, I was on this tour with this band from Philly called Marah, M-A-R-A-H. And this was just around 04, I think. And, you know, you fly o o over to London and, and you get there at like seven in the morning. So the, the goal is to just kind of see if you can not fall asleep because you're going to, you're going to be all messed up, you know? So I thought I'm going to stay up all day and I'm going to find out where Wessex Studios is, which is where um, never mind the Bullocks was done, the first Pretenders record, um, London Calling, bunch of stuff, and uh, all my favorite records. So, so I find it and, and I get on the tube and, and I, I head out there and it's pre cell phone, I guess. Yeah, it must have been. And, and um, so I'm having the hardest time finding it. And then I see this little playground kind of off the beaten path. And, and I remember from the Sex Pistols documentary that they would talk about these kids at, on the playground next to the studio, kind of harassing them as they would come in the studio every day and kind of joking. So I said, oh, it has to be here. And I, and I do find it. I find the studio. It's being redone. So there's not much going on. And I start taking photos of it. And some of the kids in the playground, the, the playground is like right next to the, the alley between the, the school and the oh, studio dear. and they're going hey what are you doing and and i'm just saying i'm I'm, just, I'm I'm taking pictures of this studio please you know please leave me alone i didn't say that but i i, I gave the air of it was implied talk, talk. <laughs> yes don't talk to me so <laughs> one kid goes hey take a picture of me and he was really annoying so i just turn around for a second and i take a picture of him and then i, I go down the alleyway to take photos from a different angle of the studio i come up the alley and I'm immediately like grabbed by two police people, a man and a woman, and I'm thrown against the wall. And I have no idea what's going on. And the guy goes, "Taking pictures of little kids, are you?" Oh no! It was the scare, the most scared I've ever been in my life. Still, and 
it was that feeling where you think, oh, my life is over. Like I didn't do anything, but <laughs> so thank God I had a digital camera on me. It wasn't film. If it had been film, would they would have had to it. take it and me down to the station while they developed it. And so yeah. luckily he was able to just go through it, see this one picture of, of this kid and all this other just boring stuff. And so, yeah, that was the most, that was the craziest thing that's ever happened to me. I just, Oh, I was even when just thinking about it pedophile. now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Jesus. Oh my God. It's so That's terrifying. not a way to go out. That's not no. a way to go out. No. Oh. So, <laughs> word of word of warning to anyone out there. Don't even raise your camera around the school. Thanks for listening, guys. Next week is part two of my interview with John. He'll tell us about a night at Dantana's with Benicio Del Toro, and he definitely has some cringeworthy stories to share as well. So be sure to check in next week, and we'll see you then. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.